2: Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak,
1: and Garrett Spain.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves Prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from work over on TalkingChop.com, where I am the deputy site manager and minor league editor. Joining me to talk some top 30 Braves prospect list action is... Long time friend, uh, and long time contributor, as well as, you know, a member of our minor league staff, uh, one Wayne Cavati. And D2, uh, extraordinary at that too. So you've been a busy boy. How are you, Wayne?
1: Oh, great. I, uh, it, it, the, uh, you, you mentioned it. The D2 baseball season starts in a week. Um, you know, so we're coming off the, the extensive work we put in our top 30 prospects. And now I gotta roll into the, the new baseball, D2 baseball season. So, uh, you know, Unlike the rest of us, at least I get some baseball um, while everything else is trying to hopefully come together, which, uh, you know, as we were talking about before the show, doesn't look very promising that it's going to be happening anytime soon.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, Rob Manfred and the owners don't seem to care a whole lot about whether or not the season starts on time and, you know. I think that there's a fair amount of skepticism as to whether or not Tony Clark and the Players Association can actually bring them to the table uh, with and actually engage in some good faith negotiations because there's certainly been a bit of a history of Tony Clark not really being able to get the owners to move from positions that would benefit them. So we'll see what happens. The, the you know we had some terms exchanged today and there wasn't an immediate. Wanting to set each other on fire reaction to, to that proposal from the players association. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about Major League Baseball as well as the minor, what's going on in the minor league season soon. But we still have some things to talk about here, Wayne, because we've been busy. Uh, as is per, I guess, I guess it's, how would I put it? It is traditional. Uh, we, we, the dates aren't always the same, uh, but generally around the turn of the year, we put out our preseason top 30 prospect lists, and then we also do a midseason update right around the time sometimes it's before the draft sometimes it's after i think we're going to try to get into the habit of trying to include those draftees in midseason updates going forward but our preseason list is a lot of work for us obviously uh, a little bit different this year because we also did our pros- prospect retrospectives to kind of kill you know kind of fill the void if you will with you know the lack of content due to the the current lockout so we wanted to kind of get a bunch of content on those individual prospects. But we also so we included that content in addition to some additional information into our prospect rankings that's going around. Uh, unfortunately, we only have Wayne and I on this podcast. You know, Matt has had kind of intermittent some, some technical issues, I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. Grob isn't feeling particularly well, you know, sending, you know, kind of good vibes his way. He's getting over not feeling particularly great and is pretty run down. So we decided to give him the night off. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to get in touch with Garrett today, so it's just gonna be Wayne and I talking about the podcast, the list rather. But all five of us did our rankings to kind of come up with the Talking Chop Top 30 Prospect List. The way the list works is that we all make our own personal rankings. We rank; it does vary a little bit. Some of us rank down to 35. Some in the past have ranked as many as 50. And you know, but what we try to do from that is we try to make a composite from all those rankings. How we do that is, you know, we'll drop the highest and lowest ranking for each player and kind of that way it kind of eliminates some potential issues with outlier type rankings, dragging guys up or down that maybe doesn't necessarily represent the core of what the staff thinks. And then once we make that composite, we get the write ups out there and we put it out for you guys for better or for worse. And each and every year, I'm always thrilled with what kind of what we come up with because I think we have a different take on prospects, even just amongst ourselves. But more importantly, all of us are so involved and so engrossed with this minor league system on a year-to-year basis that having that many eyes that are that just focused on this one system and coming up with a list is always fascinating to me but it's also like i'm always proud of it even if we like look we're gonna be wrong right way i mean like it's just something that's gonna happen like Every year I look at my list that I make preseason and midseason, and I think, what was I thinking? But, you know, overall, kind of what were your thoughts about the list, like the the process behind it, and kind of what were your thoughts about the general, your overall impressions about what we came up with?
1: I think one of the things that you mentioned that um, I really enjoy about this list is that there are the five of us, right? And and the five of us, uh, we, we talk, you know, whether in the chat room, wherever it is, we're constantly discussing these guys, like you said. And despite that, we, we don't all agree. You know, you touched on that when you were talking about it just here. We all have different takes on what a prospect is and what, but in the same sense, none of us are that far off, right? Like, for example, if you take, just using one example, I know I was the super high guy on Von Grissom, right? I think I had him at number six. And while you guys don't agree with me that he's that high, it's not like he, you, anyone else had him at 15 or 16, right? It was, it was eight or nine. So even though we have these differences in, um, you know, what makes a prospect better than another prospect when it's all said and done, we're very similar in our thoughts about about what it takes to make it to the big leagues. Right. And so we we, we have these variances and we have these differences. And what I think makes it really um, a strong case for our top 30 to the readers is that you have five different voices telling you about these prospects. And, you know, and, you know, with names like Pache and and Harris and Langoliers, all these guys that could be a number one, we sat here and we talked about it. So you're not just getting, we're throwing a dart at a name and going with this. There was was real discussion behind it. And, you know, with a guy like Pache, the discussion went on for six months during the season, right? I feel like he was one of the guys we talked about most. So, um, you know, this list... It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of fun though. And I think you, you nailed it. It's, it's very rewarding to see how it all comes together because I know, uh, I know how Matt feels about one guy and I feel about the same guy and you feel about, you know, and I know how that is. But when it, when it's all said and done, I think you have this very comprehensive, detailed list of what you really need to know about prospects from guys that we literally sit there and watch every night and, and Talk back and forth about that at bat, did you see that pitch? Did you see that at bat Garav, can you can you make a gif you know like it's it, there's a, and, there's and a lot I of
2: Garav, get on the gif machine there's a yeah. lot of that to be sure yeah
1: and I think that just brings a little ex- something special to to our prospect list and, and uh, like you said i'm just always very proud of it
2: yeah it's it's certainly a collaborative effort and the way the best way I know how to describe it to readers is it really is best to kind of think of these lists. In tiers, not like hard, like we don't think that number one is a whole lot better than number two unless we explicitly say this isn't even close, right? Um, if we, if we if like it's not unanimous or anything like that, don't get too, and the, 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 the tiers kind of make themselves known. Like we have a kind of a pretty clear top three. Uh, you could maybe extend it a little bit further if you're feeling particularly ambitious, but you know, any of that, that top three. You're not going to get like a strong reaction out of us if you're like, Hey, I think this guy's number one. Right. But at that point, it just kind of comes down to a certain amount of personal preference. And we're going to talk about the number one, the pick in particular, this go around here in a minute. But if you think about lists like these, particularly from like uh, even the, the national folks, unless they're really clearly like this guy is the best player in the prospect on the, on this list and it's not close, you will get a lot more enjoyment. Out of that list, if you don't get too hung up on like, well, this guy is one rank above another guy, and I can't believe that you think that way because you're an idiot, and, you know, having one guy one rank higher or whatever, or a couple ranks or anything like that, then you don't know what you're talking about because it's just, our list doesn't work that way. For starters, there's five different opinions, and I guarantee you that if that's, if that, if it's that close, then they were probably flipped on a couple lists, right? It just kind of comes down to how everything averages out. And more importantly, it's, at the end of the day, these are just thought exercises. Like we, we're very fluid with these rankings. Like I am not wedded to any ranking that I made right for going into this, the preseason here at midseason. I'm not like, well, I put this guy at one or I put this guy at four or I put this guy at seven preseason. You know, I kind of feel like I need to put him in that same, same area. I do my absolute best to. Take the information that I've gathered over the course, and, and everyone does that, right? Like we're we're pretty shameless with wanting to both take a large sample size, but also understanding what our eyes and what our ears okay. are are telling us, and ultimately that's what we try to do. So again, if 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 a guy is ranked somewhere that you think is too high or too low right now, check it midseason, because if they don't have a good season, they don't turn it, or or they end up lighting up the scoreboard, we're gonna know, and we'll be and it will be reflected, and just at the end of the day it just you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of it and at the end of the day this is kind of just getting an idea of what's in the pipeline, who's coming up, what could, what could be exciting for the Braves going down the line because the it's entirely possible that the best prospect of the the guy who performs the best in the majors right, you know, from that's on our list right now of the top 30, the guy who performs the best in his career could be outside the top 15, top 20. I could see it happening. Wouldn't it would not would not be a crazy notion at all. So I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. And we'll go ahead and just start this discussion now. Uh Fortunately, we had our vote on for number one, Wayne and I were on di- in different camps here. And I'm going to kind of pitch it to you here, Wayne, because the uh, Christian Pache was our number all, number one, overall prospect. If you want to get a sense to kind of where Pache, you know, who, where the list is, make sure you go to the site to kind of go through and look at all of our rankings to kind of get a better sense for the context of this conversation. Cause this will make it a little easier to follow. But Wayne, what was your reasoning for putting Christian Pache at one? Because you were one of the folks that did put him there. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and you know, they, first of all, it's like you said, right? You could give me the one, two, and three guys, and, and I, I, you know, you, you have Michael Harris. And I'm not going to say that's a terrible pick, right? Because Harris is my number two. I don't think there's much separating them. But when it comes down to it, and, and – you know, I'm kind of the, the curmudgeon of the group, right? I'm the older guy. Uh, I, I'm kind of, yep. oh,
2: yeah, old man shouts at clouds. Yep.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm more rooted in the, and, and don't get me wrong. Analytics are very important, but I'm much more rooted in what I'm watching, right? And for me, my problem. And, and, you know, I've told you this time and time again. All, all of you guys is that my problem with analytics is that whatever analytic you like most. You can counter whatever analytic is given to you, right? So like if you like WRC+, you could be like, yeah, what is WOBA was this, right? And, and what eventually – you what you have to do with those numbers is know how to interpret them. And the thing with Pache for me, and this was my rationale behind it, was the numbers weren't as important to me as – the numbers didn't necessarily have to be um, out of the park, put it that way. But they had to improve throughout the year because what we saw when we were watching was a change in swing, a change in approach. And when you change a swing, when you change an approach, you are going to have some more strikeouts. And Pache definitely struggled with a a more strikeout, less walk approach. He was a little more aggressive. But the swing and approach also changed throughout the year, and the numbers did improve. Does that mean they were great? By no means were they great, but they did improve. And August was, you know, boom he can he it looked like he figured it out september kind of came back to earth right and then october he got to go um along for the ride didn't play much but um so my rationale long story short is sure you could you could take a bunch of the numbers you could look at the strikeout rate you could look at, at, at you know the ops whatever number it is you want to pull and none of them are great but they are improved and from what we've seen with Ozzie Albies, with Austin Riley, he's 23, right? To For me to drop him um, any lower than three, meaning not one of these three top guys, uh, that's a bit much to me, right? I, I don't think he's outside the top three in the system right now. I still think he's number one because of those changes, of those improvements. He was banged up at the beginning of the year. He was up. He was down. I think when we see a full year of what he could do, hopefully those that approach that everything sticks this year and we're back to seeing we know what he could do in the field we're not worried about what he could do in the field but we want to know that is that he could hit a big league baseball right and i think that we get to find that out this year and as i said you know on talking chop when when we went through this and, and you mentioned it i'm not sold on this right come mid-season if he comes out of the gate flat it's a it's an easy drop for me right he's not gonna it's they it's like you said i'm not i'm not glued to him at number one and i'm not gonna make this case that he has to stay number one if he comes out and shows us he can't do it so that's kind of my rationale and where i am now and how i wound up with where i am and it it was again it wasn't it didn't have to be great numbers for me it had to be much improved from the start of the season and that's what it was
2: yeah, Pache is such a weird case, right? Because on the one hand, the offensive numbers, especially at the, in a small sample at the big league level, weren't good. Uh, but we're also coming off a weird year in 2020 where both it was a COVID year, so like what kind of development happens at an alternate site is debatable. And then when he was added to the Braves postseason roster, he was good. He was good in the postseason. People were all excited about him. Then he comes out the gate and really struggles, then gets hurt, makes some adjustments at AAA. We start to see some really positive things in terms of like hitting the ball the other way and driving the ball the other way. What you're looking at with Pache is a couple things. One, the day that he has is that can qualify, he is a gold glove contender in center field. If he's not a – if that is might be the floor. He might be the best defender in center field like full stop right now. Right. If he was playing and starting in center field, he's going to get you a lot, a lot of defense value, which lowers the bar for what you need from him offensively. Combine that with a lot like world class athleticism. Do I think he's going to be a guy who steals a bunch of bases? No. And I think it's just because he's like, it's not super quick twitch, like get the quick jump and steal second type speed. But when he's underway, he's going to be a guy that's going to be scoring from first when he has no business doing so, you know, easy scoring from second to home on singles and things like that. That's the kind of speed he has. And it really helps in center field, obviously combined with like just good reads off the bat, good route running, things like that. So what does that mean for what, what matters? I think that I love the athleticism. You have to believe a bit in some projecting on him. Even still at 23, we have to start wondering when he's going to figure it out. He's still young, but he can't, he can't just be languishing at AAA forever, right? So this is the year where you make a decision as to whether or not he's going to be your center fielder of the future or not, in my mind. The question is his hit tool, and it's an open question because sometimes he's looked, you know, his best numbers were at AA, a place that people don't really hit particularly well, and he hit pretty well. And we know he has raw power. He's a much bigger and stronger dude than people give him credit for. But maybe the best case scenario for him is a 15 or 20 home run guy. And you need him to be able to get on base and you need him to be able to hit some, be at least a league average hitter to be your starting center fielder. Even if he's a guy who you're batting 7th or 8th, you need him to at least be reasonably productive there. You don't want a situation where it's like an Ender CRT thing where it's just kind of – he's just kind of a black hole down there. So for me, what it comes down to when we're talking about these three guys is that for me when you're looking at a prospect, the most important tool that you can have is your hit tool for a position player. And I'm much more confident in Michael Harris in terms of being – having that hit tool – because in terms of pure, just raw power, Michael Harris probably tops that list. But Langoliers and Pache are not that far behind. How much the, that plays is different. Because Michael Harris had kind of a weird year where like he hit all of his home runs on the road, but in terms of pure like batting practice power, he might have the best. And in Langoliers' case, he did a lot of damage in places like Pensacola. And I think that he hit all his home runs in A this year, which... Hey, thrilled for him, but if, uh, he's also a guy that has some hit tool questions combined with a position that I think he's great at defensively, but you wonder about the, like the wear and tear on that and the ability to call games. Uh, what I think he's made a lot of improvements there, but that's just a position that's really hard to be good at right out of the gate in terms of the game calling part. I think defensively he's the best, I think he got robbed in terms of the best defend, like I think the best minor league defender award at catcher went to Adley Roichman. And I think that that was just incorrect, but you know, in terms of that game calling experience and things like that, that's just a really hard thing to do combined with the fact that he does not impress me as a hitter necessarily. Now I love the upside where he has some home run pop, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to hit for a ton of average when he's up in the major leagues. I don't think he has to, to be a very productive player, but when I'm looking at confidence in a position prospect, Michael Harris is a guy who I think he can play center field. I think he can play all three outfield positions. I love the arm. I like how he moves out there. He probably, My guess is that he probably falls out a bit and moves to a corner, but that's not a given. I like the hit tool, and the upside's there with him too. So that's the decision that I made for that, whereas in Pache's case, there's reason to have a certain amount of skepticism whether or not he will ever have the bat to really kind of be that sort. Instead of like that eighth or ninth hitter, like can he be better than that? And there's reason for skepticism for that. I still love the athleticism, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he comes out and is and is great next year. I, I w- it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. Just again, in terms of like physical talent, you'll struggle to find anyone as physically talented as Pache is. But he's again, it just he has to work on that hit tool. And I I I had him at number three. I put Shea at number two on my personal list. It's just again because we dropped the high and low ranks, and it's just. It ends up working out where, you know, on this particular question, I was the odd man out on on our particular rankings in this particular situation. But I don't feel so strongly about it that, like, if folks want to believe, hey, I I still believe in the talent. I still think he can figure it out. He has time. And combined with just some of the weirdness that kind of, you know, in terms of being hurt, coming off that COVID year, playing, you know, just playing time, getting things worked out. I have no problems with people buying into that. But for me, I've kind of already made that shift down. But if he get, if he comes flying out of the gates, I think it's likely he'll just not be eligible for the list at midseason because he'll have all those at bats up in the major leagues because he he could be that talented where he ends up uh, eclipsing that sort of that prospect threshold. And again, that's that's fine with me too. You know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be like mad if he shows up and performs really well. But there's reason for a certain amount of skepticism of Pache. But the number of people who are just like he's nobody. He's nothing. The Braves just need to trade him and get rid of him. I think those place those people are demented. To be, to be blunt, I think that they're. Absolutely demented to think that he's just never going to be anything and he cannot be anything because we're – I don't think there's a full appreciation for kind of the changes he was making, what kind of physical talent he is, and just looking at what happened in 2021 and just deciding that's who he is. So that's kind of where I'm at, Um and obviously, again, we, we're we not – this it kind of speaks to the fact that amongst us in this tier of players, we had different opinions. And that's perfectly fine. We're all, we're 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 thrilled to be in a spot where there's multiple opinions because that allows us to kind of give the best information that we know how to our to our readers and to our listeners. So, Wayne, that kind of brings us to our next topic here because I had some troubles at certain spots on this list ranking. Who are the hardest players for you to rank when you were making your list?
1: Uh, it, it's funny to refer to these guys uh, in, in this group, but it, the quote unquote older guys, right? Like the 2018 guys, um, were pretty difficult for me. You know, you, you got, you know, like the 2017, 2018 guys. When you when you look at the Justin Deans and the Trey Harrises and guys that have just been kind of, it seems like they've been hanging around forever. Um, even you know. The Tucker Davidsons, you know, that, that, um, injured, not injured, looked great, didn't look great, and, and those guys that have been around. And, and the reason for me was A, the 2020 draft class was, I think, well above expectation, every single one of them, right? For, for all of us, I would say. Um, and then I guess maybe it was just the excitement of having a big draft, right? But there was, a lot of exciting people in the twenty twenty one draft as well. So suddenly you have this new crop and the these these older guys that have been around a while, you know, like do you look at a Joey Estes and and judge his potential um over a Tucker Davidson who we've seen, you know, is pretty much on the cusp, right? And and could be graduated easily by by midseason. And so where, where do you put someone with the higher upside as opposed to a guy that's, that's kind of just right there, like a Kyle Muller as well. Um, but really it was the guys lower down the list, the guys that, uh, like, like I said, the Justin Deans, the Trey Harris's, um, and just, and that, that, I, you know, I don't like clumping people together, but it, it's kind of those, the, where, where they fit in the picture, right? Is, is Trey Harris really, um, is he, you know, I was one of the people, I'll I'll, I'll admit it, uh, I was one of the people that thought he'd be in Atlanta this year, right? And when I say this year, I mean 2021, not this coming year. I thought he would be a a serviceable tool in 2021, and um, we didn't see that in Mississippi, right? Uh, We didn't see a player that was ready for that jump. Um, Justin Dean, I I think, still has all the athletic ability in the world, but you know, he, he's blocked behind and hopefully he's in AAA because as you mentioned, hopefully, um, Pache comes out and he's in the big leagues and, and we get to see what Justin Dean could do at the ne- at the next level. But he has so much athletic ability and so much speed that he can be a potential depth and help, but he keeps kind of just falling down our list despite still producing, right? Um, so I guess that's kind of why those people, uh, were hard and then, Kind of you just get into this middle of the pack and and you have the um you know uh, uh, the the twenty twenty guys like I said and the twenty um nineteen guys and and they're really pushing each other and it's it's fun to watch right now um so kind of going I, here's a question for you actually that, that I think maybe makes these things difficult you you kind of just mentioned it right it, you, it's very valid to be kind of hesitant on pache but as you also mentioned, Langoliers and Harris, they all come with these question marks, right? When I joined the Talking Chop team, was about what, 2018. So we've been spoiled. Yeah. 2016, 2017. There was always those two guys that we knew were going to make it. Is there that guy on this list now that you're, that there, is there the Ronald LaCunha? Is there even the Oz, Ozzy Albies? All is there the Mike Soraka, right? Is there that guy on this list? And to me, there isn't. And that's why I think like you're saying, to look at it at tears, it's really all difficult if you you look at it because there isn't that separation between the elite and then the next level. Um, So my question would be, do you see a guy like that, and do you kind of agree with what I'm saying there?
2: So there is not a guy that at this moment is an elite prospect. And like the way I measure that would be like a top 20 prospect in baseball. They just don't have that guy right now. Uh, I am very high on Michael Harris. I think he will be a very productive player at the major league level. Whether or not the power plays, if, if if he's hitting home runs at the rate that he can, then we're having a different conversation. But right now, there's, again, that power is going to have to play a little bit more to kind of get more excited. Um, Spencer Strider is a major leaguer. I'm just not, you know, whether or not that's a starter or reliever, the fastball is just too good to not make it, right? But you're right in the sense that they don't have that kind of like look, like Ozzy Albies, Ronald Cooney Jr., those are kind of guys are like, you can hang your hat. He is a cornerstone piece of the future. But right now, they don't have that, that piece right now that I'm willing to hang my hat on. Now, in terms of guys that were the hardest to rank, there's two groups. Uh, one is just, kind of I hate to say pitchers in general, but that was kind of the group that I had the toughest time with, but particularly ones that have injury issues. I like Tucker Davidson, but we had some questions about him going into the season. He answered some of those and made his debut and looked pretty good and then he got hurt. I have no real confidence i mean i was i think I had him at like ten uh and he was a little bit higher than that on our list. But a guy who has the, that, the dreaded strained forearm, what does he look like the next year? Does he end up – either the injury becoming worse, and maybe Tommy John's in the, the books, or is there something else going on that results in him either not being able to have the same level of stuff or ends up being moved to the bullpen? Those are really hard things to project for a guy like Tucker. Uh, another example here is Jared Schuster, who we know was having was dealing with some injury issues in his draft like at the alternate site when it's after he was drafted. The velocity's down with his fastball. What does that mean? He didn't look particularly great at double A. And that's a first-round pick, but again, we're not dealing with a particularly huge sample size with Schuster. What does that mean for him going forward? Victor Vodnik, kind of the same. It's a similar problem to Tucker, but earlier on in his development. Just can't seem to stay healthy on the field. We love the arm. But is he a reliever? Because if he's a reliever, we have him ranked too high. Uh, and I was lower on Vodnik. I'm kind of in the camp that I think that he's hurt and that he's more likely to be a reliever, so that shifts him down on my list pretty significantly. But it seems like the bridge are going to continue to try to develop him as a starter. I'm just not sure that that happens. I have no idea how to spend it. the The player that's the weirdest to evaluate is Spencer Schwellenbach for me because this is a guy who barely pitched in college and then had to undergo Tommy John surgery, and the Braves are going to try to convert him, a college guy, into being a starter. While also coming right off of rehab or Tommy John surgery. There's a chance that having Tommy John surgery now actually increases his likelihood of, and kind of increases his prognosis, because there's guys on our list that have had Tommy John surgery already before, and there's no longer the specter of, is his arm going to hold up, because they've had to make the repair and that the success rate on Tommy John surgeries is so much better now that maybe that's one less concern we have. Now, the conversion to being a full-time starter is a different thing altogether, and he won't have all the time in the world to figure that out, but the Braves really like him. But where do we rank a guy like that who we've not seen pitch as a pro, who hasn't been much anything other than a reliever in college, but we love the arm? Where do you rank a guy like that? And I don't have a great answer to that question. Uh, again, I had him – I had him at like 18, I think, and we have him a little bit higher than that on our list, and I wouldn't be shocked if – you know it sounds like that they're pretty bullish on what his recovery time is going to be and they feel like they had to the repair early enough and we're going to see him in 2022 sometime. But we'll see if that's actually what happens. Uh, and the other group – it's again, it's the guys who at uh, towards the bottom of the list. There's just so many guys. It's the relievers. It's the guys who I think are probably at best like bench roll type guys. You know, like I understand that I'm the, I'm you and I are kind of in the same camp that like, we're not as high as like Rob and Matt have been on Makai Backstrom, but I do love the talent. So he's kind of a guy that I kind of have like on the outside looking in, in my top 30, but we had enough folks that were ranking him high enough where he kind of snuck in towards the back end of the list. But Again, in terms of like William Woods, you know, Brooks Wilson, there's so much turnover in relievers that I have like zero confidence in any of those rankings. Like uh, people want, uh, every year this is what happens, is that we make our list, the first installment comes out, or I guess the honorable mentions and, and the the list comes out, and there are people who are hung on, this reliever is going to be a major leaguer, how could you possibly not have him on, our, on your list? And the biggest reason is that there's that, there's always three or four guys that everyone thinks that, or I say a lot of people think that need to be on our list because they're surefire relievers. You have to take that guy over some guy in rookie ball who maybe hits down the road. And at least three of the, three of those guys end up just not being anything in terms of a prospect. And that's just what happens with relievers, right? Now there's other, there's other, you know, guys that are harder to rank in terms of like, whether it be reliever risk or whether it be you know, just not having great information on, like, Ambiores Tavares, where we have not seen play. We haven't. So we're kind of, that's based on a bit on what we've, a little bit of what we've heard, but also kind of where he was ranked in terms of as an international prospect when he was signed. Uh, He has, there was no Dominican Summer League, so what has he been doing? I could see him falling up, going up or down any amount, just kind of depending on where he gets placed, going into pro ball. I'm guessing that he'll be in rookie ball. Maybe we'll learn something about him there. But, Beyond that, I mean, like, there was, there were some guys that were hard to rank, and I don't fault, really. I mean, like, again, there's probably 40 guys that could be top 30 guys. You could make an argument for them. It's not some, maybe with some of them, that's not the decision that I would make, but towards the bottom of this list, the depth, the lack of depth, I should say, and we'll kind of be talking about this a little bit later, the depth on this list isn't as deep as you would think, and as a result, that makes ranking the guys at the bottom very speculative at best is the best way I know how to describe it. So, again, don't get hung up too much on, like, you know, you see a guy at 28, and then you see a guy that you really like that's not ranked. It, at the bottom of the list, it became very, like, the in terms of voting, the, the point totals were really, like, there was, like, a group of guys that all got top 30 love from some or most of us, and it just... You know, it was a few points here and there that kept put guys on honorable mentions or, you know, took guys out of the running altogether. And it's just, there was just enough variance there that made that particularly hard. So again, to our listeners and to our readers, don't get too hung up on that sort of stuff. Someone has to be at 28 or 27 or 30 or whatever. We, that's why we make the list, but I I wouldn't get too like hot and bothered by it. It doesn't mean we hate a guy if he's not on the list. And it doesn't mean we're hopelessly in love with a guy if he's at the towards the bottom of it. One last question before we go to a break here, Wayne. And uh, who was the biggest surprises uh, from the list for you in terms of like where they ended up being ranked?
1: It it, that's a hard question because we do talk so much, and like you said, this year was a little different, right? We had um, we did those prospect retrospects, so I kind of you were kind of able to gauge the excitement. Like if someone wrote about some such and such, you know, prospect such and such, you kind of could tell the the excitement that we had in the season before we went into this list. Um, one of the guys is definitely Diaz, Indigo Diaz. Uh, you know, and it's very much for the reason you said. We're not, you know, we've had the AJ Minters, we've had those guys, and they've never been on our list before. And and, and I put them on my list. I did. And and like you said, it's not something that I'm uh, accustomed to doing. So I was surprised to see that everyone was kind of on board um and that he and he ranked so uh i say highly but you know it's 25th i believe he was but that that's high for a reliever for all of the reasons you just said um and it, it's just with this group of of people um that we've talked about you know not and we haven't had relievers before it was surprising to see him make the list and and in his case uh you know if he catches lightning in the bottle uh, he is a He'll be a big leaguer. They'll keep him up in that stint, but like it's like you said, that's so volatile. How long will it last? Um, and then it doesn't, this is going to, I don't know. I want to make sure I word this correctly. It's not surprising he is at number four after the season he had. But the fact that Spencer Strider is the number four prospect <laughs> in the race is, is, is surprising, right? So you like, yes, totally number four. That I believe that's where, where I, I had him myself and that's where he wound up on our composite but if we're going back to draft day there is no way I saw Spencer Strider come out (laughs) and becoming the number four prospect this quickly and I think you could say it about you know uh, Bryce Elder Jesse Franklin was a guy that got injured the day before opening day of the 2020 season so not only did He was supposed to come back three months into the season, and of course, there was no 2020 college ball baseball season, so he didn't play any college baseball. Didn't then he gets drafted, and then sure he went to the alternate site. But again, you know, it it was the alternate site, and then he comes out and he had those two ridiculous months. And granted, he did cool off at the end of the year, but he showed us plenty that he can that he can handle professional pitching. And you know, so we're we're looking at the five guys. uh, I'm sorry, the four guys that got drafted in there. And, and, and Strider, Elder, and Franklin are, are, are all right there in the top. So um really just the, the, the instant quick success of that draft class, uh, especially highlighting Strider being the top five prospect, um, with, with all the struggles that they went through and the fact that they, even Elder, right? Bryce Elder, he's a bulldog oh, type we're, guy. We're, we're, we're
2: gonna, we're gonna be getting to him because you and I are fighting over that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's the, he's a bulldog type of guy, but he deserves the ranking that he has. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that the entire 2020 class in a whole highlighted by by Strider and the fact that that we did have that reliever, um, you know, crack the list. So those those would be my surprises.
2: So this is the part where Wayne and I fight. I will say that generally speaking, we are in the same tiers with guys. I think that's fair. And I'm kind of looking at the spreadsheet now. Like, again, there's a little bit of variance here and there. That's whatever. The one player that, for me personally, I think that our composite ends up quote-unquote getting wrong in the sense that I think we might look back and go, that guy should have been higher, or we might go back and the results might not match where we have him on our list, is Bryce Elder. Uh, I was the high man on Bryce Elder. I put him at number five. And this is a guy who... Starts the year double at at high A. All of us didn't have particularly high expectations for him. Um, Again, it's kind of one of those college arms. We thought we liked the slider. We thought that he was just going to be a a guy who has some pitch ability, may not strike out as many guys as we'd like, but would get a bunch of ground balls and pitch well. We wouldn't have been shocked if he made the major leagues. All this guy did was exceed our expectations and make adjustments. In every area that we had questions about, and pitched his all his way to double to triple A and pitched well everywhere, right? I don't think I don't see him as the number ten prospect of the system. I'll just be front. I think we got. I think we have him too low. But this is where the kind of how things get interesting and in kind of how we evaluate guys. Generally speaking, we have guys in very similar tiers. That is not what happened with Elder. There was a group that had him significantly higher, and then there's a group that had him significantly lower. Wayne, why do you hate Bryce Elder? So go I ahead and actually, get it out there. What, what, so go I ahead and actually, get it out there, Wayne.
1: First of all, I definitely don't hate Bryce Elder. And, A, you know that – I'm sorry, that,
2: Bryce. I'm sorry for Wayne. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you ahead. know that me,
1: you know, particularly in our group when it comes to draft day, I, all I want to see is college players. You know that that's yep, my forte. Yep. So I yep. was excited. You know, we got a pitcher from Texas. You know, I, I'm excited right there. Um I I definitely think I am too low on him, you know, looking at it now. I do. But it's kind of what I tried to to explain is that there's just um there's I don't want to I don't know how to use the word. I don't want to say more excitement. there's more upside to the to some of the pitchers sure. I I think in front of him. But that's not the it's it's like I told you this was, you know, in our private chat and I and I hold firm to it. Bryce Elder's gonna be Randy Wolf, right? Right? We're gonna, 15 years from now, we're gonna be like, wow, that guy's still in the big leagues and he's still winning, and he he's gonna be, he'll have like this probably all star season at age 35 because that's who he is, right? He's not flashy, he he's not, but he's a bulldog and he just gives you innings, and there's so much value in that, but um, that doesn't mean he's the shiniest car in the, on the lot, right? And I do think he th- th- would be-
2: that that is a hundred percent true. If when you're watching him, it's like they're pretty easy games, right? But it's not. He's not blowing, but things. But the slider can get some pretty silly swings. But beyond yes. that, like it's just, he just gets the job done. And and, you
1: know? and that being said, I think you, I do kind of agree with you in, in retrospect. And I think by midseason, if he comes out like he did, you know, it, uh, last year then he he'll, he'll be the highest riser on on my charts probably I mean I can't predict that now there there could be others but he'd be one of the highest risers on my list with graduations and such um but yeah I definitely don't hate him um and, and I think he has a ton <laughs> well, of I'm kidding. But- <laughs> I'm,
2: I I know you don't hate him well look when when Bryce Elder starts come up like all of us are paying attention right and it's yeah. it's weird when you start thinking about these lists cuz you have to start thinking a little bit about projection and you know like is like, is this – how much better will he get? You know what I right. mean? Because we didn't yeah. expect this. We just kind of thought he was just going to be a guy who's like a steady riser, ends up pitching in the big leagues, and he ends up being significantly better than that. Is this really, really who he is? And I don't have a great answer to that beyond the – we saw the adjustments. We saw the swing and miss that he was getting, which we did not expect. Like, when he was starting at Rome, those first few starts, it was just a bunch of ground balls. You know, pitched pitched perfectly reasonably. We no one there was nothing that we're like, yep, that's Bryce Elder, that's what we thought he was going to be. But then the numbers just getting better and better, and like his sequencing is getting better and better. And as he was going against more advanced hitters, like the results were better and better. So I I I, I pick a little bit. I I what I I guess what I'm trying to tell our listeners is that you know I pick I'm, I'm picking on Wayne a little bit, but at the same time this is the guy. This is the type of guy where right now we have him a little like on the top, like at number ten. If he, like, doesn't make the, the club out of spring, which, by the way, isn't a crazy notion. The biggest problem is that he's not on the 40 man roster, but he's already at AAA, so it's not, it wouldn't be a crazy notion, especially if he pitched well, that, if he, that he would make the, the, big league club early in the season. I would not be shocked if, at our midseason update, that Bryce Elder is, like, firmly in the top five. Wouldn't shock me at all. Because he's that kind of guy with that kind of helium in the kind of year he had last year. He's already on our radar. If he just can continue to show that he – like some of these some of these numbers and what we saw is real and sustainable, he absolutely should have the stock jump. Now, at the same time, if he comes out and all of a sudden starts getting shelled as kind of a guy who doesn't have a ton of ups – like quote-unquote upside and doesn't have that electric stuff, he's a guy that we might keep him there. He could move down. That's that's just that's just how these things work, and that's kind of what I try to get at: is that there are rankings that I think that we 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 look at the composite, and all of us are like, eh, I kind of wish this guy was a little bit higher, a little bit lower," because we feel strongly about our own personal lists. But we're not so wedded that like we're and we're certainly not so arrogant as to say that these guys can't prove us right or wrong at any given moment, because that's you know half the fun and half the heartbreak of following prospects is that they (laughs) ninety percent of the time we're not right, and that's just how it goes. Uh, This is there's there's so much attrition. Baseball is a really hard game. And predicting who's going to be good at it on a year-to-year basis is really, really super hard. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But before that, we're going to take a quick break to uh, listen to a word from our sponsors.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience.
2: All right, Wayne. Let's get down. Let's get down to it a little bit more here, because this is a list that has um, a lot of newcomers to it. Uh, the 2020 and the 2021 draft class is pretty heavily represented, um, and we also have some guys who we've been ranking and talking about forever. It just feels like there's a few of these guys. I think we've we've had to have written them up ten times by now, uh, in various forms and fashions. Who are the guys that you see on the top 30? That you think are going to graduate, and and or could fall off the list completely when we make our list at midseason. I,
1: I think this is the toughest year we've had to answer that. Uh, kind of going back to what we were saying before that there isn't that guy, right? We're not going into the season with, um, you know, even last year Pache was was gonna be the start, you know, the the part of the the lineup on opening day, and and. We're not really there yet. You know, Pache has to have a, a strong spring for us to believe that, um, that, that he could do that. So graduations, man, it, it, right now for me, I think it, it is Pache. I think, um, Mueller and Davidson probably graduate. They probably get enough innings to get off this list by midseason. Um, that's if they stay healthy. You already mentioned injury issues with Tucker Davidson, right? Um, I think those are the three that you could um, you, you could hang your hat on, if not by midseason, definitely by, by the end of the season, right? Um, but then there are those guys, like um, Strider, if he comes out, Elder, if those two guys come out and an injury hits, they're, they're going to be one of the if – the, if they're keeping up with the pace that they showed last year, they're going to be one of the first two called up, you know? Um, but I don't think the graduation list is incredibly high. Uh we kinda mentioned Indigo Diaz again. If 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 he's striking out people the way that he was striking out people last year and and the Braves need the shuttle going back and forth from Gwinnett and and he's the guy. He may get enough innings by the end of the season. But I, I don't see a large list of, of graduates. Um falling off, I, I think there's a lot <laughs> that that could go. I mean and and I could just use my list as an example. It's like you said um, in the past we we give five maybe six honorable mentions and I remember when I sent you my list to get it ready I said don't think of this as the order of my honorable mentions because it's fluid I can't decide between these guys right They're they're kind of all on that same level and I think you know for me even guys that were in our honorable mentions William Woods Jared Johnson the, 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 these are make or break years for for some of these guys you know I mentioned Trey Harris before Trey Harris could definitely uh, not be spoken about as a prospect if he can't get out of Double A this year, right? Um, so, and, and I think a lot of the the newer guys, the 2021 guys, since there is that international um, class for the first time, you know, there there was I, I this is I don't want to use the word helium, but there was a lot of helium because we were excited about a big draft. Some of these guys like Justin Henry Malloy, you know, like Luke Waddle, Luke Waddle, they they performed well when they got here. We got excited about them. But you know, they they have to keep it up. It was a small sample size that we got excited about, and um, I think that that bottom of that list, you know, Darius Vines loved what he did this year. What happens if he moves up when he as he continues to move up? As he he's kind of that Bryce Elder guy, like you were talking about. Is that is what we saw the real deal, or was he riding the hot wave? You know, um, I, I think those this whole, you know, I want to say. You know, twenty through thirty are interchangeable and can sink down that list. I don't think all of them will fall off, but I think those are where your your contenders are. And then, you know, Braden Schumacher—like, what do we make of this guy? Is it how? Where does? I have no idea. (laughs) Is it possible that he falls off the list completely if he? I don't want to use the word, but if he hits like last year, because he didn't hit. Last year, like right, I, I mean, we saw very little signs of of someone that could hit baseball at the professional level, and I think what we have met around probably fifteen sixteen area, and, and I think just he's a guy that if if he's hitting one seventy by mid season, is he on my list? I, I I don't know that I could say yes. Um, so I think there's there's a lot of I don't think there's a lot of candidates for graduation, but I think there's a lot of candidates that could not necessarily fall off the list, but certainly, you know, fall down the list. Uh, I, I think it's a very odd season, kind of, if you write about prospects like we do, it's kind of a fun time because there is a lot of uncertainty as, you know, in the past we would go into seasons knowing who we wanted to watch and be excited to see them. Now it's uh, like we have no idea what's going to happen, like you just said, you know, and, and I think that adds a little bit of excitement because we don't know what to expect and it's like you said, none of us are cemented to the this list. And, you know, watching the first three months of a season by the time we get ready for midseason prospect list, it's fun. It keeps it interesting and, and trying to figure out what these guys are and, and who's who's for real and who's not. So I think there could be a lot of movement on our midseason list this year.
2: So I think you're right on the names in terms of the most likely. I think Pache is likely to graduate. I think that the next group is – I think one of Kyle Mueller or Tucker Davidson will graduate. I don't think both. Um, I think that there's just not enough spots in the rotation to make that happen. Or I'll put it this way. If both of them graduate, then something not great happened at the major league level, if that makes any sense. And I don't want to predict that because I'm wanting good things to happen for the Braves, uh, but it, it's possible. But I think one of those two graduates after that, Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder are the next group of, I don't think it's particularly likely, but I think it's possible that they could graduate. Uh, there's an outside shot that Drew Waters both hits a ton and gets a bunch of at bats. I don't think that's, I think that's even less likely than Elder or Strider. But, you know, again, those are kind of the guys like, we're talking about guys who are like on the 40 man roster or in close proximity to the major leagues. Those are kind of the most likely guys to graduate. Um, in terms of guys that would fall, that could fall off, uh, the two things that for me that will make a guy fall off are like, Injury and particularly injury uncertainty, like the mystery, like we just haven't seen that guy in three months and no one said anything. That's very rarely a good sign, right? Um, So I can see a guy like Victor Vodnik as an example who has had injury issues. The two seasons that he's played, he's had them both seasons, and it's not anything that's like – you know, wow, his arm fell apart or anything like that, but he's had trouble staying healthy. If you combine that with reliever risk, is a guy that if he's in that middle tier that I could see falling way down if he can't stay healthy. Then there's guys like Trey Harris who are getting older. We're already kind of older pro- draft prospects again. with. Trey Harris had a great year and shot his way out to double-A to hitting whenever he made his full-season debut, but wasn't particularly good at double-A. I could see him falling off the list. And then there's the guys who are like, Day two draft picks like the Cal Conleys, the Luke Luke Waddell, I think Luke Luke Waddell's pretty safe, but like the Justin Henry Malloys, the Cal Conleys, those types of guys are the ones that I wonder if we're going to be talking about at midseason as being top 30 guys. Uh, Right now, it's just kind of like these are productive hitters, college guys who have a bit of track record. They're relatively easy to slot at the back end of a top 30, but not ones that I feel particularly great about. Uh, I think of that group, I think Waddell is probably the better hitter of all of them. And I feel like he'll be on there. But like those are the kinds of guys I look at. And I think that it's – I think one guy that circled for me as a guy that I think we have overranked in the past, uh, and I, we may even have him overranked now, is Makai Backstrom, with the caveat that I see the bat speed, I see the raw power, I see the physical talent there. I could see him shooting up the list, but I could also see him falling off the list completely. It just depends on what he looks like this year. Had a pretty good pro debut. Did not look good this year. Uh, even you know the, the the few balls he did hit out were absolute tanks. But overall, wasn't getting the job done. He was drawing a bunch of walks. So, what are the Braves working on with him down there in rookie ball? What's going on with him in the off season? What does he look like going into the season? This is a big season for him in terms of how quickly he could you know shoot up a list one or the other. The, the being a first base only guy, there's a lot of pressure on that bat. And if he's not really producing. Then I think there's a little bit, it's more of a what could have been, uh, after, once we look at him this year. Now, if he's hitting a ton and he ends up going into full season ball and performing well, this is an entirely different conversation. But in terms of a really volatile stock, it's Makai. In terms of the guys who, like, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, once we had, like, this year's draft class and maybe, you know, just, a, you know, an accounting for graduations, it's that, it's that bottom, it's that bottom, I'd probably you right You're probably about the bottom third or so of the list is the most likely with the guys who have been around for a long time almost being or the older guys being the most likely because at some point we just you can't keep them on a list if they're just you know we're thinking about what they were two or three years ago as opposed to what they are now um so those are the kind of guys that I expect that could fall off the list it's not nothing's nothing's a given but those are the guys that could be the um the ones that we were maybe are talking about in the honorable mention section, or talking about what might have been. Uh, I think there's zero chance that Braden make falls out of the top 30, but I'm with you. The one thing I thought that guy could do is hit, and he didn't do that this year, uh, and I didn't think he was a shortstop, and now I think that he is a shortstop. So, you know, who knows? Maybe he ends up being like a 30-home run guy next year, and I'm wondering what the hell's going on at all. But, you know, he's definitely a guy that he's kind of a really weird one to kind of look at. Um, who, give me a player on the list that you think could climb into the top 10 that isn't there right now. Because you know when we were we made our list last time, Vaughn Grissom was the guy that we thought was going to make the jump, and he definitely did on our list. You know, spoiler alert: Vaughn Grissom is really good and he can hit. Uh, if you, you know, make sure you get read our write-up, Silver on Talking Chop about him, we're big fans. But if you're looking at a guy that's in the top, like not in the top ten right now, but probably could has a very good chance of making it at the by, at the mid-season list. Who do you think that is?
1: My personal list would be Bryce Elder, and I'm sure you're happy to hear that. But he is number ten for us. Good man.
2: So- good 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 man. <laughs> Uh, some of, some of, some of us had faith and put him in top five much quicker, but, <laughs> but I hear you, I hear you. I,
1: and I think a again, again, I don't think this is a major leap. Uh, we we had him around a 12ish or 11, I think actually. But you know, I kind of we we've been on a couple different shows and we've talked about it. I think Estes, Joey Estes, I, I, it's not a matter of jumping in the top 10. I think he jumps into the top five if he pitches anything like yeah, he did I last year. It. I love it. Um, I love it. So yeah, saying saying the number 11 guy jumps into the top 10 isn't a big stretch, but I I I think he I I think he's on the national stage, right? I think we're talking potential top 100 prospect by mid-season if he comes like I said, if he comes out um like last year and depending on again, depending on the graduations, if we if we get rid of Pache, if we get rid of just one like you said, like Muller or or Davidson, I, I think a guy like Jesse Franklin could shoot up there um if he, if he has the power. And again, there's just so much. It's really hard to project that this year um, with that bottom third not being as deep as it did in the past. I, again, I don't really see anyone that is going to rock our socks off and become a top ten prospect there. Um, so it, it, it's tougher than ever before. Ryan uh, Kusick, if if he's healthy, you know, he's he's a guy that could do it. He he looked okay, you know, um, when when he pitched last year and there's – there's just so much uncertainty in that bottom third and and the depth of the sy- system that I don't think, um, I, I don't think that the top 15 is going to shake up that much this year. But like I said, if you're if if you're asking about a high riser, I, I and just not on our list, I think on the national spotlight, I think it's Joey Estes is the guy that that's going to take um prospectors by storm in in 2022. But uh, you know, there, there's definitely a few pieces it's like you said if you know what if if a guy like um Victor Vodnik it, it, it puts together a healthy season with the stuff that we know he has and the stuff that keeps him where he is on this list that guy's an incredibly fast riser but there's so much concern right now that you know he hasn't pitched a healthy season in forever that uh he, i think you'd agree that you're more likely on the, the the wrong end of the spectrum that that it's just not going to happen So I I don't know that there's that guy that I'm just, and that's kind of what I was saying before. That's kind of the excitement of it this year. Is you know, is Darius Ryan's going to look like a Cy Young Award award winner again this year and and climb up the list, or is he going to just be kind of the guy that he is? Um, So um, yeah, I'm just going to keep I'm I'm just going to keep toting uh, Joey Essies because I'm still the high man on him, and I just I was just blown away by what he did last year.
2: Yeah, Darius Vines is going to require a fastball that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't miss bats before we start talking about him being a Cy Young Award winner. But, you know, I, I, I did like what Darius did this year. Um, So I love the SC's pick. Uh, we're obviously very high on him. I think we're, I was, we're a bit surprised that he didn't get moved up from Augusta. But in fairness, there has to be a reason to go watch that Augusta team, and that was a pretty brutal team to watch down the stretch, Uh, given him a, that, how much that team had been poached of their talent. I do think he's going to be in high A next year, and I think he's going to pitch really well. The guy that, for me – that has the best chance, if he moves up, he moves up in a big way, is Ryan Cusick. Now, the issue that I think all of us have, the the question with Cusick is, can he be a starter? And that comes down to command, and that comes down to what the secondaries look like. The fastball is 100 miles an hour plus and is incredibly good. That is not up for the debate. It is one of the best pitches in the system. I would argue that Spencer Strider's pitch yeah, uh, fastball is the best pitch in the system. But Ryan Cusick's fastball, you can make an argument for like Jared Schuster's changeup. A couple other guys, you know, have some really good pitches too, so I'm not gonna like rehash that too much. But if you're talking about one of the best pitches in the system, Ryan Cusick's fastball is right there. The question is if he comes out next year and is throwing an average to an above average changeup. The breaking ball, he has trouble, he was, he was spiking a bit, uh, when we saw him in pro ball, but there's a lot of movement on it, and I could see him commanding that just a little bit better, that's, that's perfectly reasonable as a starter. If the changeup is just an average changeup, just, he has some fade, and is a change of pace pitch. With that fastball to play off of, If that, if that, if that's the only thing that changes with him, if he has all those three pitches and he's commanding them reasonably well, he's a top five prospect in the system. Full stop. He just is. Now, there's, will that happen? I don't know. But when I interviewed him, he knows full well what his mission in life is and what he needs to, to be able to stick as a starter. He knows he needs that third pitch. He knows what he needs to do in command and he, he is certainly an, very like data driven and analytically minded pitcher in terms of he's not just a guy that's just like you know like I just need a better feel for it I, you know it's not it's not just platitudes and it's not just like you know when in doubt, I was go to my fastball what he did in the pros this year is like he would try out different things as he was working on them and then when that wasn't working he would just you know crank up one hundred hundred and one and just strike out the guy and. I perfectly, I respect that completely, right? Like, you know, you're just trying to work through things, and at the end of the day, he can always lean on that fastball. And against low A hitters, they have no shot shot against it. He knows he can lean on that, but he's very diligent and understands that that's not going to be the case as he moves up. And I would not be shocked at all that if he has secondaries that are again just workable, not below average offerings. you, You want them to be at least average or you know above average but he doesn't need to throw Jared Schuster's changeup to be a major league pitcher and a good one. He doesn't need, you know, the the wipeout breaking ball. You know, he doesn't need Max Fried's breaking, you know, breaking ball to be a major league pitcher and be a good one. He has a great pitch. What he needs are secondaries that he can pitch off. He can pitch off that fastball with to kind of keep people honest because timing up a hundred miles an hour is really tough. And if you have a starter throwing it, you're in for a tough time if he has secondaries, particularly a changeup. And those are the things that he's working on. We'll see if that's what happens. But if he comes out and has, is commanding his secondaries and they look reasonable, he's a top five prospect in the system. Not just top 10, top five. That's for me. Now I can see Joey Essie's making that same jump. There's all the guys that could make that jump. But for me, it's Cusick. All right. Just a couple more questions, Wayne. Um, and this is kind of a general one and I, we won't linger too long here, but. We have an international free agent uh class that was signed, and we'll talk a little bit about them here in kind of, kind, of, kind of our closing thoughts here on what we are kind of expecting with the midseason list. But we have some actual inter- international prospects, not just one. We actually have some guys that are being added to the system, and we're going to have a draft class. We're also expecting some graduations. In terms of all of that, Combined with what we expect is maybe some progression or lack thereof, compared to this list, do you think it's going to be deeper or less deep than it was right now at midseason? Like, you, do we think that this class is going? Do we think that this farm system is going to be deeper and what we're going to be happy about, or are we kind of expecting this is what's going to stay going to be for a long time or for a while?
1: I don't know that it's uh, well. First of all, it's like you said, like. You know, hey, we had we had a signing class. I mean, it's it's fun. What was it? 14 players. Like it's it's great. You know, to have to have that depth. But as with any uh, international free agency class, I mean, they're so young and and usually they're so far away. Right. And, and to be honest with you, you know, from my perspective, I don't have any intel on them. Right. I, I don't have those kind of connections that I'm in the Dominican or, or wherever, um, they, they were, we to get,
2: get, get it together, Wayne. You've already got the D2, D2 connections. I need to start making some calls to Venezuela and start right. talking to some talk, 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 to some of these handlers so we can yeah. figure out some of these guys when they're 12 or 13.
1: Yeah. You know, and I, I got to get better at that. But, uh, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, like ranking Tavares for me, for example, you know the the one guy that they did have last year. Um, I didn't know what to do with him going into this season because how do I move him from where he was? Right, like we we nope. we we, we nope. read all the information, we have all the intel that was available to us, but we still haven't seen it. So how do you move? You're still excited about that guy, so how do you move him up or down the ladder? And and obviously, I think. Um, Benitez and, and Glad are, are going to definitely add, uh, be top 30 guys by the time we we get to the midseason. I hope, right? I mean, we got, they're, they're definitely two exciting guys that were highly ranked wherever you looked, that, you know, baseball America, whoever ranked, um, international free agent classes, they both were, were highly ranked. They, they both cost a little bit of money. They both have really good hit tools. So you would expect them to, to move up. The top 30 and, and move some of these players that we had question marks down. Um, college baseball, the the draft is a, a little iffier this year. It's not as strong as in years past. It's not bad by any means, but it's not as strong. And, you know, it's a, the, the recent draft strategy by the Braves ha- has been an obvious shift from prep and high school guys to, to college. Um, I think that is the case, uh, a lot of times with, I don't know that the Braves went, you know, with rebuilding teams, with, with, with the way that any rebuilding team, right? You draft young guys to, to pitch while you're waiting to get there. And then when you're there and those young guys are now in the big leagues, you need to draft guys that are more ready to help you out to win, right? And and that, so that, that shift in strategy came. So you wonder where the Braves, if this is just the way that this current regime is and it's going to stay college heavy or if now because the Braves kind of have this that they're going to start rebuilding the depth because there's no two ways around it the Braves need that depth right the the, 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 the depth of years past is no longer there um, part of that is just what happened to the minor leagues right we only have four teams now um, and, and, and there's less players and, and that just came was part of the territory um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that draft um, I yeah. don't think Put it this way, I don't think it could be any less depth than that is there. I think everything that is added can only help. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, to learn more, especially about the two top guys that we signed. And I think that they'll definitely, they'll readjust, uh, what, the way that we look at the top 30 for sure. And, and same with, um, Tavares. I think if if we get a little more intel, we get a little more what whatever he's working on in rookie ball or wherever it is uh, i think he could be a, a pretty quick climber based on what we know about him but again it's just it's a wait and see and and find out more that uh, about the unknowns that we don't know
2: so here's my read on the system right now and what i see going forward i think that the list that we have right now regardless oh. of who you have as your preferred top you know the the bottom 10 guys if you have uh, 10 completely different guys, it doesn't really matter for me. It's that this is the shallowest the list is going to be for a long time. And the reason I say that is that we're going to be further away from a 2020 draft where there's only five rounds. I feel confident in saying that the draft is going to, because we don't. there's not as many affiliates and all that other stuff, that we're going to see 20-round drafts for the foreseeable future. I could see that being true. And you combine that with the Braves participating in the international free agent market and actually being active participants in it. What's wild to me is if you look at this international free agent class, right, it's that – what and again, I'm kind of going back on memory here – is that there was certainly a lean towards position players, but there was a pretty healthy representation of pitchers too. The Braves signed 14 players in this international free agent class so far. I, they're pretty close to maxed out in terms of how much of their pool they've used. Of those 14 players, only four are pitchers. That means they have 10 guys and there's guys that mean, I mean, Diego Benitez is the headliner. He got $2.5 million, you know, top 10 player based on whatever you look at in the entire market altogether. You know, does he stick it short? Does he stick at third? Is he end up in the outfield, second base, whatever? We're not even close to having those conversations yet because these are kids at the end of the day. And more importantly, a lot of people haven't even seen these guys do much of anything for a while because travel restrictions are just so tough getting in and out of Venezuela, you know, with COVID and all this other stuff. So we're far away from projecting kind of how, you know, how good could he be Douglas Claude, the outfielder, more of a physically, he's probably a little bit more physically maxed out in terms of like, we don't see him going another six inches or anything like that, but as a track record of hitting, you know, he got paid over a million dollars. I suspect that if we were to do our re rankings right now, including those two guys, Benitez would be somewhere in the teens, Glaude would be somewhere in that that you know that twenty two to twenty six range I would do, again just kind of spitballing that's right my hunch is that where you would end up beyond that. we know nothing about the rest of the class. I will just full disclosure there's always we know the signing bonuses that's pretty much it do do guys that the Braves signed to, you know, like, like I think it was Alexander Martinez that got like $400,000. There are guys that got over a hundred thousand dollars. What do those guys turn into? And we won't know that for a while. They seem like they've signed enough guys. And maybe if they sign up to those $10,000 type guys that don't count against their pools, they'll actually be participants in the Dominican summer league. So we can kind of get a sense as to what they look like against actual real people. Those are all important considerations. I'm really curious as to kind of how this goes, because this is a really heavy position player class, and that's where you can get your depth. The Braves are good at finding pitchers. They can find useful arms, especially in the later rounds of the draft guys who can be productive. It's what these position players do, and I think that there's only a risk of upside with this group, because I think that they'll consistently, with the draft, it seems like what Dana Brown's strategy is, is to kind of really lean on college performers, take some chances on day two, specifically on day two, with a couple overslot guys, their prep bats as kind of projects. You know that's what Tyler Collins was, or in the you know, for pitchers you look at AJ Smith Shaver, who's you know again a really high ceiling arm that is raw, uh, and Adam Shoemaker is another example. Those are taking a, like spending going overslot, spending a little bit of money and getting those kind of not the marquee prep guys. I don't see them. In like the first round, picking a prep arm or a prep bat, unless it's someone that has no business being where they're picking at the bottom of the first, they're just not. That's not where they're playing. They want guys who are going to be ready to contribute sooner rather than later on those day one picks. But they're going to continually get those guys, and those are continually going to be guys. Maybe they won't be immediately top ten prospects in a system when they're picking them, but they'll be in that mix. And you combine that with finally being able to infuse. Real position player talent, especially position players from the international free market and being pretty good about the guys that they are making, placing their bets on as prep guys from day two. This is, I think right now they may not have the top end. This is where it gets a little tricky because I think the system will be deeper. It's much harder to project them to have like, you know, seven or eight top 100 prospects because they're not. They're not playing at that end in the pool in the draft. They're just not, and they have to kind of get lucky. In the case of Michael Harris, they get a they get a kid who turns into something when no one was you know he he is a first round talent that they didn't pay first round price for, right? So you know the, those are the types of things that have to happen, and those are just somewhat less likely. But I will say that now that they're playing in the international free agent market, it's far more likely. And, you know, if you're looking at the list of guys who could be top 100 prospects in a couple of years, Diego Benitez is on that list. It might not happen because they're kids. You know, there's been plenty of, you know, of the guy, there's plenty of guys who've made a bunch of money in the international free agent market that have turned into nothing, but there's also a lot of those guys who have turned into the best prospects in baseball. So he's in that conversation, but. You know, I think that that upside is a little bit harder to to foresee. But in terms of depth, in terms of real talent, right now is "quote unquote" the worst it's going to be in terms of that depth. So, well, Wayne, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, Do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners before we close things out? Uh, I I do want to, you know,
1: (laughs) I just listening to everything that you said. I, I don't think you know the previous regime with with some of the names that were drafted and everything they were they and signed out of free international free agency i think they get a lot of credit but uh you know i really like what they've done with these the current regime has done with with the, the last few drafts and i think you know that you you broke it down perfectly with the gambles that they're taking they're not they're almost like mitigated risks right they they are gambles but but they they're they're good ones um and i just I, you know listening to what everything that you were just saying it just made me realize how much that I do like the last few draft classes and and you know I definitely like I said I don't think it could be any um the lack of depth can't be any worse than it is now and I think they are trending in the right direction but it, like you said there is going to be work because of where they draft but um definitely definitely kudos to to the way that the last few drafts have have wound out and and got us some of these prospects to talk about
2: yeah, I mean, I w- and I certainly don't want to characterize him as completely risk-averse, right? Because, I mean, like, there's, like, things about Braden Shoemaker's profile that, you know, was he a first-rounder? There's a lot, there's, you know, if you look at track record from the SEC, but at the same time, like, he doesn't, like, automatically strike. He's like, what, is he going to be, like, you know, someone that you want to spend a first-round pick on? Um, you know, Bo Phillip was, obviously, th- that that pick hasn't really worked out. And then you look at some of the pitchers, you know, you could, you could quibble as to kind of who they should have picked, and no one can convince me that this year's draft class with Ryan Cusick, who, again, there's real reliever risk, but high reward, and Spencer Schwellenbach as a pitcher, that's a risky pick. I don't want to characterize him as risk-averse, but they certainly seem to be wanting to go towards guys who, if if they're going to contribute, it's not going to be five years from now. You know what I mean? So it's not even a risk thing, or it's like an upside problem. It's a, you know, they want the – of the guys who have high upside – the ones they're looking at are the ones that are in college. Right. And, you know, but I, I tend to agree. I'm I've, I find myself liking those draft. the, the 2020 draft class in a five round draft the, the, with four picks, they, I don't think they could have picked better for, you know, it's, it's strange to me that of those four players that Jared Schuster might be the worst. I'll put it that way. And Jared Schuster a really good player. Uh, so yeah. he's a, he's a, he's a real prospect. Uh, that changeup is quite good. so, uh Thanks again to Wayne for joining me to talk about the prospects uh, for yet again. Uh, and uh this was, this list was a lot of work. So I do want to take a moment to first thank all of our writers, not just Wayne, but Garrett, Garav, Matt, they work so hard every single time to get these lists out to you guys. I appreciate each and any one of them. I wish I took t- more time to tell them how much I appreciate them. Uh Just a phenomenal amount of work. And I also want to thank our readers. Uh, I've been making these lists for a long time and, you know, the support that we get on them and just the overall just – there's people who have been writing, reading stuff, reading lists that I've been a part of for years and years now, and it continues to blow my mind that people have been following us along for that long. And I just want to take a moment to thank our readers for all that support. It allows us to do what we do. Um, it's a lot of hard work, and if we weren't reading it, we wouldn't do it. Uh We would we might still be in the same group chats yelling about, about guys, but you might not be reading about it. And just that, that support we get and just what the minor league coverage has done for talking shop over the years and the support that you guys have given it over the years has done more than you could possibly know for the site and for us. So just thanks to each and every one of you. As for when the next road to Atlanta is going to be, we'll, we'll take a. Well' we're, we're probably going to take a beat just to kind of breathe a little bit and just kind of figure out what's going on both with the cBA as well as to kind of get life in order because between those prospect retrospectives as well as the prospect list, we've been very very busy boys, but we'll try our best to kind of get back into the swing of things and once we start getting to know things about rosters and potential movement on um, you know you know in terms of who's going to be where and you know who could possibly be breaking camp and things like that, we'll have some more news for you. But until then, thank you all so much. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. If you don't want to miss a single episode of Road to Atlanta, make sure you subscribe to the Talking Shop podcast feed on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcast purveyor is. We are listed on it, and if we're not, let us know, and we'll make sure we get put on there. Not only will you get this podcast, you also get the flagship Talking Chop podcast hosted by the great Rad Roland. Uh, I have been chipping in; I chip in here and there from time to time on that show, uh, as well as the Daily Hammer hosted by Sean Coleman, who's been a great addition to the podcast app. He's been doing a great job with the kind of those sort of more regular, either during the season, it's daily updates, shorter shows. Uh, during the off season, it's been more a little less frequent. Again, we just hadn't had a whole lot to talk about, but he's been doing a great job with that podcast. And if you subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast feed. You get all three of those podcasts for exactly $0. Thank you again so much, everyone. We appreciate all the support. We're looking forward to talking more money baseball down the line. Until next time, we'll see you on the road.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.